0: I always love this particular evening and class, in part because I know what I'm going to talk about already. (laughs) I give the same general theme every year, but because it's really one of my favorite uh, things to talk about, which is really generosity and gratitude. Because so many of us, and we know this if we're honest, we, we walk around with a lot of complaints, I mean, it's just kind of a mentality of fixating on the what's wrong. It's a radical inquiry and reflection when we start purposefully sensing uh, what we cherish. It just, it's a homecoming. We come back to a much bigger, moister, awake heart than we've been in we'll explore this a bit and just to know that in many of the mystical traditions and and definitely in Buddhism on the bodhisattva path which is the path of an awakening being the quality of generosity and gratitude is actually an expression of the awakened heart so the understanding is that if you're awake it's just a natural flowing expression of who you are and by intentionally practicing generosity we actually come home to that awakened heart. So to me it's interesting that most people I know really value gratitude. They think it's a wonderful state of mind and yet if we ask ourselves how many moments do we feel an alive, real, in the heart, awake sense of gratitude. Um, Much of the time it's more of an idea of I'm so grateful that happened or relieved that that didn't happen or, you know, it was awfully nice of so-and-so to do such-and-such or whatever it is, but not so much that deep upwelling uh, for someone else's goodness or kindness or just being stunned by beauty or wonder our our gratitude for a spiritual path or a practice, it's not that many moments that that's just that kind of rush or our kind of sense of outpouring comes out it's not so regular and when it does, when it does, when there's that kind of yes it feels terrific, doesn't it? Doesn't gratitude feel really good? So we also va- value generosity in, in the same way. There's a, a kind of a common understanding and feeling that um, when we feel generous or when someone else is generous there's a goodness and it's, it's just some intrinsic this is good. I often will do workshops where one of the inquiries is to, to reflect on three generous acts, you know, that really felt generous that you've done, you know, and you, you know, have people think of three generous acts. And there's two major responses to this reflection. And one is that people say, well, when I really got in touch with a generous act, you know, it just felt, it just (coughs) felt so precious just to, just to be able to feel that, you know, that having done that and feel that part of myself. But more commonly often I get is, well, I couldn't really remember anything that was truly generous. It, it had a kind of self-centered motivation behind it. And, you know, I was really doing it maybe to feel good about myself, or to, to have somebody else feel good about me, or whatever, obligation, duty. So there is a sense that I am not purely generous. So it's sad because we value it and yet we don't always trust that we are capable of a kind of purity of giving, uh, a purity of, of presence like that. And the reason, most of us know how many moments of our day that where our attention is, where the fixation is, is what will help me feel more comfortable, what will help me feel better, how can I get more done, so I'll feel good about myself. You know, in some way we're dealing with our own overwhelm and stress and it's very self-centered. Not that that's bad, but that's what we know. The big swaths of time are that way. We're trying to deal with stress. Some of you might remember this uh, little verse it says the, the way to achieve inner peace is to finish all the things you've started so I started looking around to see all the things I started and hadn't finished so today I finished one bottle of gin a pack of cigarettes, a <laughs> bottle of wine pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream my Prozac, a large box of chocolate and it goes on and on you have no idea how good I feel <laughs> it's called inner peace you know <laughs> So, the Buddhist teachings are not thou shalt be grateful or thou shalt be generous. Um, you know, it's more that as we relax and quiet and get present and this is it, as we get more present, that sense of gratitude and that upwelling, that inclination to give comes naturally. Uh, I have some friends that love to start a meditation with a a practice of gratitude, thinking of what they're grateful for. I actually, that doesn't work quite as well for me. I find that if I meditate and practice getting present by the end of the meditation, there's a gratitude that's quite organic that just comes naturally because it comes out of presence. But it works both ways. If you remember what you are grateful for it brings you more present and if you are very present you will feel gratitude. They both work. It is not so well known about the Buddha and about his band of monks that they were really considered to be quite merry, quite happy bunch King Kosala who you read about in the scriptures giving us observations reported that they were positively playful and spontaneous and happy and lively And, and here they'd given up worldly goods that most people spend a lifetime chasing and accumulating and they were really happy and they loved to walk and sit and serve and teach and be in the natural world and you see this in many monastics this kind of a generosity and spontaneity of being one uh, asian teacher his name's Ajahn jamnian one of his main teachings is empty empty happy happy you know it's like he just goes around empty empty you know empty of this self-centeredness not preoccupied and this kind of happiness that comes or as uh when Jack Cornfield first went to Asia and one of the monks there asked him, okay, so what in your mind is the essence of Buddhism? And uh, Jack said, well, that no separate self really can be found uh, to hold on to. And the response was, no self, no problem, you know. I mean? <laughs> and again, it was that kind of happy, happy... There's a great um, little card. It's the bir- and it has a picture of uh, the Dalai Lama on it and he's actually it's a it's a birthday card a friend of mine received. And the Dalai Lama is with a gathering of monks and there's this huge package with this ribbon and he's kind of undoing the package and the ribbon and and he exclaims happily, Nothing. Just what I always wanted, you know <laughs> so so I loved it because it's really expresses a kind of spirit and this is something so many of us know that there's a, that when we're happy it's usually that there's a kind of simplicity that's there. It's not like we're happy when we have tons of stuff we're accumulating or when life is complex. It's almost when it's simple enough that we can be here for this moment and this moment and connect with this person and take in this, that's when we're happy, that's when we're grateful. So what stops us from experiencing this happiness and this gratitude and then the flow of of generosity that comes from it more often is, is really the inquiry. And one of the ways I think of it is quite simple, is that we're preoccupied, we're already occupied there's a lot of kind of churning and spinning and fixating and preoccupation going on so there's not really a space you need a space to be able to to take in and appreciate you need a space to have what's in flow, flow outward to others, we need some space so our attention gets fixated and we know it. We each have our own particular kind of top ten hits of what, where we get kind of fixated on. And for some of us it's really what's going to go wrong or how we're going to fail or what else needs to be done or what other people are thinking of us. You know, we we each have it. Sometimes it's what's going wrong in our bodies. I've had many seasons where I was sick and... And it didn't matter how much I tried to get my attention elsewhere, I was just constantly ruminating on what's going wrong and how can I get myself to feel better. On a basic level, we're trying to control our life to get things just right. We want things to go our way. And so the more they're not going our way, the more vigorously we're trying to control them. And the reality is they don't cooperate. It doesn't matter how much we manipulate, it doesn't cooperate. We get what we want, we lose it, we don't get what we want. One story, a visitor to an insane asylum found one of the inmates rocking back and forth in a chair, cooing repeatedly in a soft, sad manner, Lulu, Lulu. What's this man's problem, he asked the doctor. Lulu she was the woman who jelted him was the doctor's reply as they proceeded on the tour they came to a padded cell whose occupant was banging his head repeatedly against the wall and moaning Lulu Lulu is Lulu this man's problem too asked the visitor yes said the doctor he's the one Lulu finally married (laughs) so we either get what we want and don't want it or don't get what we want For the most part, and again, in contrast to the simplicity of just here and that sense of enough, for the most part we live in a story of a self on our way through time somewhere else. So we are not just here, we are on our way somewhere else. And with that there is this subtle or not-so-subtle anxiety that contracts our heart and we are afraid that things aren't going to go well or that we aren't going to get our way. And so we are trying to control things. And in any moment of controlling, whether it's overt controlling, like the manipulations we know about, our subtle controlling of our mood or trying to get more comfortable, if we are controlling, we are not going to feel gratitude. You can't control and feel love and gratitude or generosity at the same time. They are different biochemical states. And yet, if we watch, and especially with those closest to us, we are in a kind of, on. we have an agenda. We have an agenda of how we want them to be and how we want them to treat us. If you are here with me last year, you might remember this story. An old man in Phoenix calls his son in New York and says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. Forty-five years of misery is enough. "'Pop, what are you talking about?' the son screams. "'We can't stand the sight of each other any longer,' the old man says. "'We're sick and tired of each other, and I'm sick of talking about this. "'So you call your sister in Chicago and tell her.'" Click. Hangs up. Frantic, the son calls his sister, explodes on the phone. "'Like heck they're getting a divorce,' she shouts, "'I'll take care of this.'" So she calls Phoenix immediately and screams at the old man. You are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't you do a single thing. Do you hear me? Click, she hangs up. The old man hangs up the phone and turns to his wife. Okay, he says. They're coming for Thanksgiving <laughs> and they're paying their own way. <laughs> you know? I love that one. <laughs> so manipulation at the highest level. The Buddha's um, basic teaching, you know, was really about Dukkha. The word Dukkha means suffering. And Dukkha, uh, his basic teaching is about suffering and freedom from suffering. But Dukkha is a great word. It's translated as suffering, but it actually really refers to stress. It refers to this fundamental sense of unease that we all experience when there's any sense of separation which we are programmed to feel there's an uneasiness and it might be just kind of this restless feeling or it might be a sense of just some apprehension of what's next or it might be out and out anguish but it's an off-balance feeling it's a sense that we're not quite really able just to be here And it's interesting the derivation of the word had to do with a wheel on a cart that wasn't affixed in a stable way so it was wobbly and off-balance and it couldn't stay in its groove, on its track. And in a similar way when we're experiencing dukkha, our stress we're off-balance and we can't flow in the riverbed of our life. We're not just in the flow. We're just trying to manipulate and control and we're just off-balance. In those moments, uh, there's not a sense of enough. There's not a sense of gratitude. There's not a sense of wholeness. Something's missing or something's wrong. And I invite you to just investigate as we move into tomorrow, Thanksgiving, because in any moment there's a sense of something missing, something wrong. Our heart is not free and open. I had an interesting experience with my son on this um, when he was. Uh, my son's name is Narayan and he was four or five, I guess, and it was Easter time. And it was a few days after Easter, I had given this basket with a huge chocolate racket, rabbit, way too big. Mother should never give big chocolate rabbits. But anyway, he had started in on the ears and, and on that day he had a few friends over and so I suggested that he offer some of his chocolate rabbit to his friends. And he was just freaked out and agitated. No, 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 it's mine, it's my rabbit, my rabbit, you know, even though he'd just been going at the ears here, you know. And I could see how much pain he was at the idea of sharing his rabbit. So I I remember what I said to him, which is, You're right, it is your rabbit. And that's why you get to share it with the others. He thought. Now he's not dumb, but he. But that struck him. So he thought about that for a while, and then he lit up. He had this great smile and this sense of dignity about him as he broke off pieces, making sure each child got some. There was just. It's like it freed him up, and um, I remember that really well because there was something about this tension of, it's mine, I need it, but when it relaxes, there's so much more pleasure in sharing than there is in hoarding. So much more pleasure. There was a uh, writer who was researching uh, Appalachia and he found an impoverished elderly woman in the hollows there of the, of the hills and she was living in this tiny shack and uh, dirt floors, no heat, no plumbing. So he asked the woman, what would you do if someone came along and gave you some money to help you out? she rocked in her chair a bit and shook her head, I guess I'd give it to the poor. So there's a metaphor uh, I'll offer out and then we're going to begin some reflections and exploration of how we wake up this quality of gratitude and of appreciation. And the metaphor is that when we're full, when we're feeling full, it's like a river that's... That we're being fed by countless streams it's like, we're, like when we breathe in, we're actually breathing in and we let the air, the prana, the aliveness of this universe come in and touch us and nourish us so when we're full, it's like this river that lets what's in, in and is able to then breathe out and just release it into the sea again, like a river fed by countless streams and releasing into the sea when we are identified with something's missing or something's wrong we become more like the stagnant pool that can't let in the flow from the other streams and certainly can't let out into the river, into the sea we become stagnant and we can look at our own lives as, you know, how much are we really able to receive and appreciate the beauty and the goodness and the mystery that's here How much do we really let it in? When we are stressed we don't, we are tense, we cannot, we are not porous, do you know what I mean? It's like, how much can we let it in and appreciate? And how much do we naturally just release and let go and offer and give to those around us? Just like breathing in and breathing out, one enables the other, if we breathe in appreciate we can let go. If we let go there is room for breathing in again, we are not preoccupied. So a key element in uh, this experience of really letting in and letting out is a quality of presence. When we are busy controlling and leaning into the future and figuring out we are not here to let in, we are not here to let out. So the first reflection, if you will, and you might just close your eyes for a moment is really the reflection on presence, on what I call enough on the fullness of what's right here when we really inhabit the moment So make yourself comfortable, adjust your posture if that helps And you might let yourself feel the breath again and as I was describing it as you breathe in, let yourself receive with the in-breath let the life and the air and the nourishment that comes with oxygen and the more subtle prana be received like a balloon, feel yourself opening with the in-breath expanding And then with the out-breath, enjoy the letting go Rest with the breath If there are thoughts that are going on, just a sense like clouds that they can come and go you don't need to get lost inside them rather you can really rest in what's right here you might ask yourself if it's possible just to relax a little bit more right now you might let the hands be open their relaxed kind of shape expressing a sense of enough that the movement of the breath allows you to receive what's right here, allows you to release what needs to be released. You don't have to try to be aware. Awareness just happens. You might begin to notice with the senses awake what's happening right here perhaps the sounds around you perhaps this whole dance of sensation through the body the moods of the heart Sense the possibility that this moment is enough. Really, is anything missing right in this moment? Sensing how it would be if you really could Let go of needing anything to be different right now, if that's there. In the simplicity of just this moment, you can sense a bit of that fullness. Really, is anything missing? right here. This is uh, the poet, Zen poet Ryokan. He writes, Without desire everything is sufficient. With seeking myriad things are impoverished. Plain vegetables can soothe hunger. A patched robe is enough to cover this bent old body. Alone I hike with a deer. Cheerfully, I sing with village children. The stream under the cliff cleanses my ears. The pine on the mountaintop fits my heart. Cheerfully, I sing with the village children. The stream under the cliff cleanses my ears. The pine on the mountaintop fits my heart. So, the beginning of this generosity is the enough that's right here, a kind of abundance that's not seeking something, that doesn't feel something's missing. And generosity flows from that. The second element of generosity, which is really wanting to respond where we see need, wanting to respond to what we value. So let's, if you'd like to open your eyes, we'll explore a little more together and uh, I'll have you go back into a meditation. The inquiry for many people is how can I actively wake up this quality and one level as we're just exploring is The more that you have a committed presence, in other words, the more that you're saying, okay, right here, just this much, you touch that sense of enough and there is a natural giving that comes out of that. We can cultivate generosity in what I call the outside-in techniques. And the outside-in techniques are where we might not feel the upwelling of giving but we give anyway, that out of a sense of care, Um, out of a sense of generally knowing that help is needed we have a reverence for life, we try to help out in a way the basic teachings in Buddhism include the ethical precepts that are ways of behaving that if we behave those ways rather than complicating our life we actually feel better For instance, don't steal, don't kill. Like the New Yorker cartoon puts it as one deer's talking to another off off on the edge of a field saying, I wish they'd kill their own goddamn herds. You know, it's like, creatures don't want to be killed. How do we really get that this life is to be revered? So one level, this outside in, how we wake ourselves up, is really... um, not hurting other beings, is really giving to other beings. It can be very deliberate. You can look for opportunities to be generous. And one one person suggests that you have three unscheduled acts of generosity a day, that you look for opportunities, that you plan to do it, you do it, and you see the response. That this giving reconnects us. Naomi Shadonaya puts it this way, she says, the Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is, where he's come from, where he's headed. That way he'll have enough strength, enough to answer. Or by then you'll be such good friends that you don't care. Let's go back to that. So when the Buddha went through his process of awakening he first taught what are called the spiritual perfections and the spiritual perfections are expressions of the awakened mind and the very first thing he taught was generosity that in fact he created an entire socioeconomic model based on dana which means generosity or giving and in asia what that meant was that people could come to the monasteries and meditate and be given clothing and food and housing and all for free. And the culture so valued spiritual teachings and this is part of the economic model that they they did not charge for the teachings. And instead um, the culture just gave back in whatever ways, they fed the monks, they built the monasteries and so on. So this is the formal, initial, institutional version of generosity which, of course, we're trying to do here in this country by having a class like this available for Donna. It's not working as well in the West. We're still having to struggle because in this culture, it's not our habit. We're very, um, you pay this for this and you don't pay that for that. And when we're told, oh, it's just a donation, it doesn't register that this is a kind of giving, flowing, receiving Process that is very much a part of, uh, in Asia, very active. It works a little more um, fluidly at retreats that we do, because after people have sat for a week, there's a quality of presence that attunes more to the Dana model. But the Buddha was teaching Dana in a much deeper way than just the exchange of you know, the dana of coming here and giving ten dollars. The Buddha was teaching dana as an actual experience of presence that makes you want to express thankfulness, makes you want to express gratitude. And there's studies that have been done now in the West that as long as material need, needs are met, people feel better after giving in some way than they do buying for themselves. Doesn't that resonate? That if your material needs are already met that there's actually a better feeling in your body and heart it expresses a kind of abundance. A story I love of one, a great Argentino golfer, his name was Roberto Di Francesco. He once won a tournament and after receiving a check and smiling for the cameras he prepared to leave. He was still relatively new at this, so he walked alone into a parking lot and he was approached by a young woman who congratulated him and then told him that her son was seriously ill and near to death. And she didn't know how to pay the doctor's bills or hospital expenses. And he, who was really known as a gentleman, was so touched by her story that he penned the day's earnings to her and handed it over to her and said, make some good days for the baby. So a couple of weeks later he was at another country club and uh, one of the officials came over and said, well, some of the boys uh, in the parking lot at the last tournament told me what happened with the young woman you met. He nodded. Well, said the official, I have news for you. She's a phony. She has no sick baby. No children at all. She's fleeced you, my friend. You mean there's no baby who's dying, said Roberto? That's right, said the official. Why, that's the best news I've heard all week. (laughs) So there's the outside in which is the actual giving and then there's the inside out where we cultivate the ground where we're wakeful enough to Appreciate life and care for life. It's like E.B. White put it. He said, Every morning I awaken torn between the desire to save the world and the inclination to savor it. So, one of the strategies, and this is a key one, if you want to be dedicated to countering the conditioning of the culture, if you want to be dedicated to awakening your heart, is to pause and savor the moments that are delicious. We don't do it. We steamroll right over. Pause, savor. When you encounter something that's touching and lovely, when you see the look of the leaves on the ground or the few lone ones left in branches, you know, those beech trees that still are kind of the ones that are there and everything else is kind of bleak looking or the feeling of the air, or just the look in a loved one's eyes, just to, just to pause, just to stop and breathe in. This is, you know, those streams of water into the river, breathe it in, take it in. We don't know how to do that so much. We don't pause and receive the goodness. It's not part of our habit pattern. Be on the alert to notice the goodness. Like if you start a walk in a in a natural setting, it can be like walking in a sanctuary. Be alert, or if you're with someone you care about, you might even before you're with them, just set the attention to look at their eyes and see who's there a little just it's a little scary because we're not used to really looking at each other, but to look at their eyes and sense who is this you know or or to reflect on somebody when they're not with you, and just let yourself not only remember what you appreciate about them, but feel the appreciation, feel it. One of the practices that can be really powerful, and this is, I mentioned this at the beginning, is it could be at the beginning of a meditation or at the end, but to just reflect on three things you're grateful for. And if it helps you, and this is part of uh, a number of people I know are doing this now, have a gratitude buddy. Have somebody that you're, if it's emailing it's fine, that you commit to once a day writing a note with three things. You don't even have to say, Hi, so-and-so, or whatever your sign-off is. Just your three things. It changes things around. One of the um, stories I loved hearing and this was uh, told by James Barres, who was uh, co-taught our retreat uh, this, this, a few weeks ago. He described his mother, 93-year-old, and he said, you know, she was, she spent most of her life being a very ornery person, a very critical person, a half-empty person, you know, the whole deal. She's very independent and she's, you know, got a lot of, you know, wit and very sharp and so on, but she was, there she was, 93, and she would just scan for the what's wrong and be really good at at naming it, you know. So, uh, James has been very involved with this whole program of awakening joy. And at one point he said to her, and he did it in a very non-confrontational way, he said, you might want to practice this, a lot of people are having good luck with it, and the, the practice was, whenever she said something critical or that something was wrong, she'd say, and one thing I'm grateful for is, or one thing that's nice is. At first she said, you know, at first it was very kind of mechanical or or cynical, but she warmed up to it. And she warmed up even more. And then she, she, then it became not only good-humored, but like very sincere. And he said he has never... he rarely sees that much of a dramatic personality change in somebody younger. His own mother, 93, he said she's different. She moves through life with the joie de vivre, where she really pauses and savors. And if his 93-year-old mom can do it, you know, we can. I started a while back with the reflection I was just describing to you where at some point in my meditation I stop and very intentionally will reflect on what I'm grateful for. Every time I do it I feel like I'm more fully coming home to what I am. There's a kind of a loosening and a freeing and an emptying and just the flow of the world coming through. It is sweet. There is um, a nun, a Buddhist nun uh, from back, I think, in the 16th century or whatever, and she had one mantra that she taught and and all her followers, this is what they meditated on, and her mantra was, thank you for everything I have no complaints whatsoever (laughs) which I think is a great mantra thank you for everything, I have no complaints whatsoever Well, I heard about this years and years and years ago and I remember my son, who um, I nicknamed King Kavetch because he was just like, just that way, he just complained a lot. I remember telling him about that mantra, you know, thank you for everything, I have no complaints whatsoever. And a week after I shared it, I was driving him to the dentist and we had to go around the beltway and it was... it was jammed up and I was just fretting and negative as could be. And he did this, he nudged me, <laughs> Mom, thank you for everything, I have not... <laughs> he, he played it back to me, and, uh, which was a great lesson, you know. Be careful what you teach your child, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it is amazingly skillful to pause. It's amazingly skillful to acknowledge what you value. It's amazingly skillful, if you notice you fixated on the what's wrong, to, in some way, even if it's playfully, sense, okay, what else is true? Every day is a god every day is a god and holiness holds forth in time I worship each god, I praise each day splintered down and wrapped in time like a husk, a husk of many colors spreading at dawn fast across the mountain split, Annie Dellard So there's something about letting this holiday, Thanksgiving, truly enter our psyches as an opportunity to wake up our hearts. We can walk through this one more consciously than we have in the past, each one of us, with just that sincerity that says, you know, I really want to slow down and breathe in and appreciate and I want to be able to breathe out and express thanks and show my care, express my generosity. When we are grateful, when we are generous, the sense of who we are shifts. Investigate it. Notice what it's like when you are feeling very me, I need, I want, that kind of thing and notice what happens in those moments that you're pausing and appreciating are in some way giving just notice who are you then? we'll um, close with a a reflection that has a bit of this inside-out feeling tone to it it's a short reflection so this is a way to perhaps set your body and mind and heart for the holiday. Let this pause right now be a chance to arrive again. It's such a powerful practice to sense, okay, this moment, what does it mean to come home right this moment to presence? explore this breathing that allows us to be like that river that takes in the streams from all the mountains that lets go into a vast sea so that you are breathing in and receiving life you might just attend to the in-breath for a few cycles sensing this rich environment of life around us that we breathe in nourishing loving alive sense what it is like to actually experience receiving that your cells are being bathed in this richness of oxygen and prana and energy we couldn't live without it every breath it's here and that the breathing out that we let go, that we release that which we don't need that we relax outward and emerging and mingling with the space around us letting go feeling your own presence right now your own sincerity that waking up matters that an open, awake heart does matter. And our reflection is that simplicity of what we are grateful for. So take some moments to sense what you feel appreciative about right now in your life. Maybe someone who's been kind or helpful, who's made a difference in your life. that's a good place to start, is just to bring to mind a person and imagine them here, a person that you're grateful to you're grateful that that person's in your life could be a person you know, or could be a person you don't know so well but just the sense of gratitude for a person and imagine that person right here what you're appreciative of, and mentally whisper thanks and sense what happens. Sense that inner purity of what thanks expresses from you. Just thanks. And then let yourself continue to reflect on what you're grateful for in your life. And a really beautiful way of doing that is to just whisper. And you can... don't worry because everyone else is going to be whispering too. But just start to whisper perhaps the names of people you're grateful for, or the types of beauty you're grateful for, or the experiences, or perhaps the the spiritual practices you're grateful for, whatever it is, we're going to take a few moments now reflecting on gratitude and just whispering our gratitude. Please don't be shy because it's a powerful exercise. taking some moments just to let yourself feel what the actual sensations and energy of gratitude is for you and just to scan your life right now and sense for you what would be one very natural way to express your generosity in the near future perhaps by letting someone know what you appreciate about them or by helping someone or doing something good for this earth just sense what would be a very natural expression of generosity to offer into this world tonight, tomorrow, the next days Again, the words of Annie Dillard, she says, Every day is a god, every day is a god, and holiness holds forth in time. I worship each god. I praise each day splintered down and wrapped in time like a husk, a husk of many colors spreading at dawn fast over the mountain split. Every day is a god, each day is a god, and holiness holds forth in time so we close with a prayer metta or loving kindness that all beings everywhere are blessed to feel the awakened heart to realize the awakened heart, and to live from the awakened heart. May this bring peace to our earth, peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. And thanksgiving blessings to each. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.